What's up, y'all? How you doing? Welcome to March YA night, y'all. You uh, pushed through the beautiful weather, and uh, you made it back out to church. So come on, give yourselves a round of applause for that. But come on, don't be bashful. Don't be bashful. Give yourselves a round of applause. You pushed through the sunshine and the beautiful weather, and you are here tonight, not to hear from me, but to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen, y'all. I loved uh, this Sunday morning. If you missed the message this Sunday, you need to watch it online. Uh, it's something I've been hoping that we'd talk about for a long time, and that's the refugee crisis overseas. Uh, y'all, something that is part of our responsibility socially and politically as Christians is to care about those who are downtrodden and those who have nothing. And y'all, I know you listened to that message this morning. I know you were moved by that to see the suffering that was going on over there. And uh, something I was asking during it was like, okay, what can we do? Like, I wanna do something, what can I do? And so I texted our missions pastor and he said this. He said, if you wanna give uh, to provide blankets and warmth to those who are in the tents that they were talking about, if you wanna help provide water and food, uh, you can give and on your giving, you can tag it to NLC missions and just put refugees. NLC missions and refugees. And I wanna encourage you guys to give to that. Uh, my wife and I are going to pray, and we're going to sacrificially give to what's going on over there, y'all, because as he said this morning, Jesus Christ was a refugee. Jesus Christ was run out by a tyrant. And, y'all, I think we have to pay attention to that. I think we've got to be moved by that. I think that that's the heart of God, uh, is for us to engage in the suffering that's going on in our world. In our nation, there's all kind of things going on, but globally, y'all, we can't turn a blind eye to the suffering of our brothers and sisters. Amen. Uh, regardless of religious ties. You know, Jesus loved everyone. Uh, Jesus had a smorgasbord, if you will, of religions around him, and, and he pushed through that. He loved the prostitute, he loved the sinner, he loved the Pharisee, he loved the tax collector, and he would have loved the Muslim. Can I get an amen? Amen. Uh, Y'all, before we go too far, I want to jump in uh, to Mark chapter 4. If you got your Bibles with you, do you all have your Bibles with you tonight? I'm just going to cry through this whole thing, so get ready. I've been weepy recently. Actually, we're going to go to Mark chapter 2. We're going to go to Mark chapter 2. We're going to start there tonight. We're going to hang out in here a little bit. Y'all ready to get into the scripture? I'm ready. I'm ready. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Anybody got your paper Bible with you? If you got it, let me, let me see it. Let me see it. I see a couple of them out there. I see a couple more than we had last month. I like it. I like it. Have y'all enjoyed small groups? Have you enjoyed the implications that you've been seeing in the scripture in the small groups? Those who have been in small groups know the subtle joke there. We've used the word implication a lot, and we're not going to stop because the implication in the word is essential, that we look and see what God is trying to say there and what God's trying to say in the implications in our everyday life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. They watched Jesus to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Isn't that bizarre? Like helping somebody in church would get you an accusation. That they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come here. I love Jesus. Jesus is bold. Jesus knows what they're thinking. He's going to step. He's like, oh, you don't want me to step right here? <laughs> and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. 
And he looked around to them in anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. His hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we thank you that your word is relevant for us today. God, we thank you that it's not just an ancient text, but it's your word to us. God, it's your letters to us. And so, God, I pray that you would be with us tonight as we search through them. And it's in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, come on, everybody said. Y'all know I like a little rowdy amens in here, right? Sweet, okay. Uh, So we talked about the weather, right? So the weather's, I got my vacation shirt going on today uh, because I am anticipating summertime. Uh, I've turned into an 18-year-old girl, apparently. Summer is my favorite weather, right? (laughs) I just love summer and sandals. Uh, I used to never think I would be that. I loved fall and winter, and then something's happened to me. I'll tell you what happened to me. I realized how much I loved vitamin D. Uh, and I, lo- I realized how much I loved getting in the sun. And so for Callie and I, Sabbath, we take our Sabbath on Mondays. I'll tell you what, if you're looking for me on a Monday, my cell phone is powered off and I'm sitting by the pool, all right? And I'm in, I'm in the sun and uh, I'm just reflecting and uh, I'm resting. So, okay, as I was thinking through this, I'm like, okay, summer's coming. I'm fantasizing about the pool. I also started thinking about the beach. Anybody got a beach trip planned? All right. We got some planners in the house. Some of you guys are going to figure that out in like July, right? Man, I, summer's almost over. Better go to the beach. Okay, so I got a couple photos for you, I think. Jared, do we have these? Boom. Okay, so uh, this is something that uh, was sent to me a- as a uh, beach vacation essential. <laughs> you notice they're on a lake, not on a beach. I don't know how well that, that thing, because I'm pretty sure that head and those wings are going to be sails once the wind blows up. But that's a six-person uh, blow up raft, it's like $200, and that's totally worth it for a millennial, right? That's like millennial utopia, sitting inside of a rainbow unicorn, okay? Uh, next, go to the next one. Okay, now this, you may have seen the review. All right, I didn't even read it to see if there's bad language. I should check. Okay, so this is a 12-foot beach ball. It says, we took this ball to the beach, and after close, it took close to two hours to pump it up. We pushed it around for 10 minutes full of fun. Uh, And that's when the wind picked up and sent it hurtling down the beach at about 40 knots. It destroyed everything in its path. Children screamed in terror at the giant inflatable monster that crushed their sandcastles. Grown men were knocked down trying to save their families. The faster we chased it, the faster it rolled. It was like it was mocking us. Eventually we had to stop running after it because its path of injury and destruction was going to cost us a fortune in legal fees. Rumor has it it can still be seen stalking innocent families on the Florida Panhandle. We lost it in South Carolina, so there's something to be said about its durability. That's funny. That's amazing. If one of you guys don't buy this this summer and tag me in it, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. Okay, I got a video for you. This is not beach related. This is just awesome. Did the video video work? Yeah. Yeah. Do it? Yeah, there we go. Okay, watch the green guy. He's my favorite. Keep an eye on the green guy. Okay, here they go. They're all trying different strategies. Watch them. (laughs) He's almost there. (laughs) 
Okay, you can cut it right there. You can cut it right there. Y'all, I am showing this to you for the sole purpose of I want to do this this summer. So if any of you guys are builders in here and you want to build us a like three-story staircase, I'm down. Okay, I can't finance it, but I will support it. I will get people there. Would you guys come out to try to get on this thing? You're going to have to sign a waiver. You're going to have to sign a waiver. Uh, if you've been to the downtown campus recently, you will know about waivers. Uh, we've had you sign them, but hey, that's going to be opening here soon. Shameless plug. We got Bishop Fitzhill in the house. We got Bishop Fitzhill. Raise your hand. We got the bishop. Y'all, we're excited about that. That's going to be kicking off. But the real reason I showed you this video is that this game, Slippery Stairs, is a lot like being a young adult, okay? Like we're walking through life and we're trying to figure out different strategies for getting up the staircase of life, right? And then every once in a while we slip and we fall all the way down and we take our friends with us. And then every once in a while, a friend of ours gets a little ahead and when they go down, they take the whole crew with them, right? I think this is something that we can all relate to, something that we've all been through. Uh, Y'all, you may not know this about me, but I was actually the executive maintenance pastor uh, at this campus about eight years ago. That was my first pastoral position. The guy from Kennedy Air Conditioning used to introduce me to all the uh, contract guys as the facilities pastor, which I thought was hilarious. And so naturally, I started a Twitter account. Uh, NLC executive maintenance and I started telling everybody I was the boss of all the maintenance guys at all the other campuses and so uh, just check it out it's uh, at NLC maintenance it's it's gone dormant is Donzel in the house I don't know if Donzel's here Donzel might be out well if any of you guys know Donzel let him know I've got a gift for him and it's that Twitter account okay we're gonna get that thing going again uh, but y'all something that I found when I was doing maintenance is one I was a terrible maintenance person like horrific, the worst maintenance person that has ever uh, worked for New Life Church. But they kept me around for a bit, and then they transitioned me to worship. But what I found is every time I started a new job, it was the first time I'd done it, and it took me an eternity to get it done. Like something that would take a real maintenance person, like a couple of hours would take me a couple of days, right? So like, if you've used the toilets in the Kid Life Hall, you can thank me, I installed those. Uh, at one point, we had kids' toilets in a one-year-old room. One-year-olds, I don't know a lot about kids, but I know they don't use those size toilets, so we put adult toilets in there. But uh, kind of every step that I got in the process, I realized I'd forgotten something at the store, so I'd have to go back to the store. Uh, Y'all, if Fitbit had existed when I was the maintenance guy here, I would have been the champion. Okay, I know Fitbit's, you know, it's not as great as it was. Everybody's using their watches now. Uh, but if Fitbit had existed, I would have crushed my goals every week because I had to walk back and forth that enormous campus over there because I was constantly constantly forgetting tools. Uh, something that you, you maybe have found in life is that you're walking through life and you have no idea what the heck that you're doing, right? And so something that would take somebody who's walked through the phase that you're in before a couple of days to figure out, it takes you weeks and years to figure out, right? Can you guys relate to this? The reason it takes you this amount of time is because school did not prepare you for what you're going through, right? Your 20-plus years of public schooling, private schooling, doesn't matter. Your college didn't help you at all with what you're doing now, right? Can I get an amen on that? Uh, so we're all trying to go through life, and we're exhausted because we're trying to figure out how we do what we have to do just to get through like a normal day, right? Uh, for a lot of us, we're like, pay rent. Like, I can't even afford ramen noodles, much less my rent. And so every month, we're scrambling and we're trying to figure it out. Y'all, with the exception of the generation behind us, uh, I think we're the most coddled generation uh, who's ever walked the planet, right? Okay, so I've, I've, got, I've got proof for this and it's myself, okay? I did not do my own laundry till I was 27 years old. 
This is not a joke. I did not do my own laundry until I was 27 years old. How did I achieve this, you might ask? I'll tell you. So, until you're booing me. Uh, when I, up until I was 17, my mom did my laundry. Then I moved to Columbus, Ohio, and went to school there, lived with my aunt and uncle, and my aunt did my laundry until sophomore year of college, at which point I moved to Arkansas in 2009, and my roommate, Matt Huber, who's in the house. Matt Huber, you in the house somewhere? Yep, back there. Matt Huber had a difficult choice to make. He could die under the uh, avalanche of undone laundry that was in our room, or, or he could choose uh, the method of survival, right? And I'm just going to say this. Matt is an incredible man. He dealt with me, and he chose the method of survival. I'm just going to leave it that way. And so then in 2013, Matt Huber, actually 2012, excuse me, Matt Huber was rid of me. I was 23. Okay, I know when I got married. Matt was rid of me, and my beautiful bride uh, inherited me, and she inherited my lack of laundry skills. And so Callie started doing my laundry for me up until 2015. What happened on a fateful day in 2015 is Callie shrunk one of my shirts, and I threw a little tantrum. Y'all heard about my tantrums last week. I, w I didn't go crazy. I was just criticizing her. I was like, baby, come on. Like, you really got to pay attention. This is something that can't be shrunk. She goes, okay, I got an idea. Why don't you show me, Mr. Expert, how good you are at laundry? This gravy train has been cut off. You are now doing your own laundry. And so uh, I can proudly say now standing here, thank you, guys. I can proudly say, standing here at 29 years old, I can do my own laundry. Oh, Callie got the big round. I see how it is. I see how it's going to be. I'm about to give you all bad advice. <laughs> Yo, I was doing a, a little self-reflection over the past week, and I want to do a little group self-reflection. Can we do that? A little group self-reflection. Uh, by show of hands, and I want to see your hands. By show of hands, how many of you when asked the question, how are you doing in the past week, answered with this, I'm tired. Come on, just think through it. I'm tired. Keep your hands up. What about I'm busy? Busy, see a few more hands. What about I'm overwhelmed? Okay, keep, you know, come on, keep your hands up. Everybody keep your hands up. Don't put them back down. Well, uh, what about I need a new job? Come on, there we go. Where are my new job people? I see, I see people standing. I see people standing. Look around, but seriously, hey, put your hands back up if you had your hand up. Look around. That's, that's almost every one of us. Some of us don't ha have our hands up because we're lying. We're lying in the house. <laughs> Yo, that's about all of us. My hand was up. Friday, I'm writing this message. I know that I'm going to do this, t this uh, poll, and, and Pastor Harry asked me, he said, Bronson, how are you doing? I was like, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, but, y'all, we're worn out and we're tired because we're trying to figure out how to do things that we have no idea how to do. Uh, we haven't walked through this phase of life yet. Everything we do, most of the time, it's the first time we're doing it. So here's the question I want to pose to you tonight if you're taking notes. How do we reconcile our present exhaustion with the promises of rest that God gives us in the Scripture? How do we reconcile our present exhaustion with the promise of rest that God gives us in the Scripture? I want to read a couple of Scriptures to you. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 55:22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Psalm 18, 3 says, it is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. Can I get an amen? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. My first point tonight, if you're taking notes, is this. Tiredness affects your body, 
but weariness affects your soul. Tiredness affects your body, but weariness affects your soul. Can I be really honest with you all tonight? Can I be honest? I think for a lot of us, the reason we answer, I'm tired, when asked the question, how are you doing, isn't just because we're tired. I think we answer that way because we're weary. I think it goes beneath the surface. I think it's deeper than that. So my question to you tonight is, are you tired or are you weary? Is there a difference? I think that there is. I think that we're tired when we've not had enough sleep. When we're overwhelmed mentally or we have been overworked. Tiredness can be resolved by sleep. Tiredness is in your body. We are weary when we have lost hope or we have misplaced our hope. We are weary when we've lost hope or we have misplaced our hope. The only thing that can resolve this is rest. And rest and sleep are not the same thing. Right? Rest and sleep are not the same thing. Sleep is what happens when you close your eyes and your body goes into recovery mode. Rest is what happens when you shift your focus from yourself to Jesus and your soul goes into recovery mode. I'm gonna say that again. Sleep is what happens when you close your eyes and your body goes into recovery mode, but rest is what happens when you shift your focus from yourself to Jesus and your soul goes into recovery mode. Jesus says, come to me and I will try to give you rest. No, he doesn't say that. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Not I'll try to give you rest. Not I'll think about giving you rest. I will give you rest. Uh, who in here has ever spent a weekend uh, locked away in your, in your house, sleeping and watching Netflix and being on your phone? Come on. Every one of us. I see you sinners. <laughs> Every one of us. Right? Because why do we do it? We don't tell our friends what we're doing. We don't tell them, oh, I'm just watching Netflix and sleep. Like, oh, man, I got a couple other things going on this weekend, but I'll see you next week, right? Because we've decided I'm going to power down and I'm going to rest, right? So Friday, we get home about 6 o'clock. We heat up a Hot Pocket, <laughs> some ramen noodles, because you know we ate two meals that night. We uh, turn Netflix on and we get on our phones, right? We start what I call the spin cycle, where we open an app, and then we get through that and we open the next app, right? And we get through that and then we open the next app. And then if you're really crazy, you've got a fourth app that you go to and then you cycle again, right? I wonder if anybody posted on Instagram. The new algorithm, y'all, is brilliant. It's annoying on Instagram how they don't show you things in chronological order anymore, but it's brilliant because it keeps you looking because you don't know what's coming next, right? They give you things differently because they're trying to keep you on there. You know, it's interesting. If somebody wakes up first thing in the morning, and they go to the refrigerator and they drink a beer, we call them an alcoholic, right? For us, a lot of us, we wake up and the first thing we do in the morning is we reach over and we grab our cell phones and we start the spin cycle. First thing in the morning. And then we walk out and we go and we get in the shower and we turn on some music and we get out and we're walking with our phones and we're getting ready. And then we're late to where we've gotta go because we just sat there and we got in the spin cycle and we lost track of time, right? Come on, can I get an amen there? And we lose track of time and we get stuck in the spin cycle of social media. And instead of calling it addiction, we call it normal. You know, the same chemical is released in your brain when you're on your cell phone as when you're drinking alcohol. It's dopamine. It's the exact, it's addictive. Your brain is addicted to your cell phone. And y'all, we have got to break the cycle. We've got to break the cycle or we'll never be rid of our weariness. Because who knows when you go to work, on Monday, you're just as tired as you were on Friday. You're just as weary as you were 
when you started the weekend. Y'all, rest does not come from doing nothing. Rest doesn't come from doing nothing. It doesn't even come from doing the right something, right? A lot of times we try to do the right thing. We think that that will give us rest. True rest for your soul comes when you realize you can do and will never do anything to earn or lose your relationship with Jesus Christ. And y'all, we're in the South. That sounds so basic. But this is the gospel. The gospel is that there's nothing you can do to earn or lose your relationship with Jesus. It's a free gift. And y'all, this is true rest. This is true rest. I heard it said once this way. It's that rest is the rest from the work beneath your work. The gospel is rest from the work beneath your work. What does that mean? The gospel is, y'all, it is the rest from the need to prove yourself to those around you. It's rest from the need to be strong enough, to be smart enough, to have enough money, y'all. This is the gospel. The gospel is that you no longer have to prove to the world that you're worth something because Jesus says that you're worth something. The gospel is that you don't have to go out and show your coworkers you're better than them because Jesus has said, hey, you need to love those coworkers, not exalt yourself over them. Y'all, the gospel is that Jesus has come so that we might live a free light and weary free life. Not tired free life, a weariness free life, a weariness free life. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be smart enough. You just have to lean into the gospel that Jesus said you were worth it. And he came here to earth that he might have a relationship with you. The gospel is the news, y'all, that we are free from all of that. We're free from the rat race of life. Y'all, the war is over. It's been won. The war is over. It's been won. You don't have to fight to prove yourself anymore. Jesus says, I've won you to myself forever, and now you can have rest. He says, now you can be free to be. He says, now you can love others without needing approval from them. I'm going to say that again. Now you can love others without needing approval from them. Now you can give of your time without fear that you'll never get that time back. Now you can sacrifice and know that when you're emptied, you're going to be filled again. Because Jesus came to say rest is here and peace is here. And it has a name. And y'all rest in peace. Their name is Jesus. Y'all rest in peace is only found in the person of Jesus. He said, I am the Sabbath. He didn't didn't say, I came to show you a new way to Sabbath. He said, I am the Sabbath. Do you know what the name of God was in the Hebrew text? It was I am. So when Jesus was saying, I am the Sabbath, he wasn't just saying, I'm showing you a new way to do it. He's saying, I'm the one who invented it. I'm the one who invented rest. So if you come to me, you come to the author of rest. You come to the author of life. You come to the author of peace. Y'all, we're going to all of these different things to try to find our rest. It's no wonder we're exhausted. It's no wonder we're worn out, y'all. The Sabbath was designed by God to be a day of restoration and peace. Sabbath was designed by God to be a day of restoration and peace. Do you notice it's interesting? Uh, Jesus said when he told the guy to pull out his hand, did you notice it said his hand had been restored? Didn't just say it had been healed. It said his hand had been restored. The point of the Sabbath, y'all, is for you to restore your life. But what did religious people do with it? Religious people turned it into a burden. That's why they were upset. 
Y'all, they had all these additional laws. They had all these additional things that they had added to what God had told them to do. And they said, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you'll be at peace with God. If you do X, Y, and Z, you'll fit in the club. You'll be in this religious club. And they were upset. The Herodians, it's interesting, they went to their enemies. When it says they went to, to conspire with the Herodians against Jesus, they didn't just go to a random group of people. They went to people who were there to put Greek culture in place in Israel. The Pharisees were a militant sect of people. They were the conservatives of the day. And what they were doing is they were coming in and saying, hey, if we're going to protect the way that we do life, if we're going to protect the way that, that our religion says to do things, we're going to have to get militant. And they went around and they created all these additional rules to keep people in line. And what's interesting is they went to the liberals to get rid of Jesus. So the conservatives went to the liberals. Y'all, that's a win somewhere, Right? The conservative went to the liberals. The moralist went to the relativists and said, we've got to deal with this guy. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive to anyone who tries to find their self-righteousness within themselves. I'm going to say that again. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive to anyone who seeks to find their self-righteousness within themselves. Either by their doing, by saying, hey, if I do this, then I'm enough. Or by their saying, it doesn't matter what you do, you're enough. See, there's self-righteousness even there. There's self-righteousness in the ethic of, of moral relativism. Because what you're saying is, I'm better than anybody who has a moral code. You're exalting yourself above. So the, the conservatives say, you'll never be a good enough. The relativists say, I'm better than you. Do y'all see that? Do you see this in our culture today? Our culture today is saying, if you have a moral code, you're a bigot. And I'm better than you. And I'm going to look down my nose, and one day you're going to realize your God isn't real. But you know what? They're having a really hard time dealing with a lot of things within the scientific structure. Science is amazing, and I think it points to a creator. Science is amazing, and it points to a creator. Y'all, there are all these dials. There's something called the dial theory. If you get bored later, instead of getting into Instagram, look up the dial theory. And what that is is that there are all these intricate dials that make it possible for life to exist. And any atheist, any good atheist will say, if they're honest, this is the tough one to deal with. This is the thing that, that points to intelligent design, and I once heard a popular atheist say, I'm more willing to say it's an alien than to say it's God. And I'm kind of saying, what's the difference? It's somebody who from, is from outside of our realm who came and put life here. And whether you call it an alien, which I think is a massive misrepresentation, or you call it creator God, y'all, there is hope and there is life there, and we need to look at the rhythms and the, t the way that he has told us to live. We've got to look at the rhythms and the ways that he has told us to live. You know, we as a generation are full, but we're empty. We're full, but we're empty. Point number two is this. It's that we get weary when we're malnourished. Point number two is we get weary when we're malnourished. Have you ever eaten a meal and then immediately regretted it? Like something so trashy, so unhealthy, something so devoid of any semblance of, of health that the moment it hits your lips, there's no, nearly an immediate toll on your body. Like Arby's loaded curly fries. They're delicious, but they are very bad for you. 700 calories, 46 grams of fat. Mm, that's a side, 700 calories. That's like a Chipotle burrito. I'm not even mad. It's got warm cheddar cheese on it, chopped pepper bacon, shredded cheddar cheese, double cheddar. 
a drizzle of Parmesan peppercorn ranch sauce. It's terrible. It tastes like heaven, goes down like hell, right? <laughs> Acid reflux, indigestion, rapid weight gain. 2015, the year that uh, these french fries came out, these delicious french fries from heaven or hell, we're not sure. I gained 30 pounds. I'm convinced, I'm telling you, 29 of them were Arby's loaded curly fries. Every time I went, I got them. Like, I could not help it. I told my wife, I was like, I have to quit eating these. I have, like, horrible indigestion, and I'm snoring, and I think I'm going to throw up. Like, my indigestion is so bad, but I just kept eating them, and I just kept packing on the LBs, right? I couldn't quit them. I was full, but not in the way that I wanted to be. I was full, but not in the way I wanted to be, y'all. We as a generation are full. We are. But we're empty. But we're full. But we're empty. We're full of Netflix series and Instagram stories, right? Fake news and real news, however you quantify that. Full of memes, guilty. Fashion bloggers, guilty. Pinterest weddings, stay away from that. <laughs> GQ articles, conspiracy theories, ser serial killer podcasts, the bachelor trends, shopping, social expectation, obligation, and FOMO, right? We're full. We feel empty, but we're full. Y'all, we are full of garbage food in our souls. You know, we, we, are, we are feeding ourselves a steady diet of empty calories. You know what happens when you get empty calories? You get malnourished. If all you eat is junk food, you actually start starving because your body can't feed on it. Where's my cell phone? Will you throw me a cell phone? Don't throw it. I'll drop it. Thank you, baby. Y'all, we are getting a direct injection every day of in, empty calories of ice cream sandwiches, marshmallows, Lucky Charms, and Arby's loaded curly fries. It's in our pocket, and we're downloading it directly into our brains, and it's going into our souls. Y'all, this thing rules our lives, and we wonder why we're empty. It rules our lives, and we wonder why we're empty. We're feeding on empty calories. Y'all, I believe that we're physically exhausted as a generation, we are. Being young and old is hard. It's tiring. There's a lot of different things you're doing. You're grinding. You're, you're trying to make your way through life. But we're not just exhausted. We're malnourished. We're tired from our pace. We're malnourished from our spiritual intake. You know, the interesting thing about malnourishment is it's actually self-diagnosable. Do you feel terrible? Yeah, you might be malnourished. Are you exhausted and weak? You might be malnourished. You can tell when you're malnourished because you feel weak, but then it's up to you to do something about it. Yo, I, I'm not saying this from a place of, of nailing this. I was doing ministry, and I was malnourished for three years. And then this fall, you notice I didn't preach much from October to February. I was empty. I was empty. I quit feeding. I was letting this thing rule my life. I quit reading books. I was just preaching what I what I'd thought about before, not anything fresh. I was malnourished. Y'all listen to this. Untreated malnutrition, undernutrition, can cause physical or mental disability. Physical or mental disability. People may experience, and I want to see the spiritual parallels here, spiritual parallels. A lack of appetite or interest in food or drink. Think about that. When you're malnourished, you need healthy food or drink. But when you're malnourished, you quit wanting food or drink. 
Has anybody in here been thinking, man, I need to read the Word, but I don't want the Word? Hmm. You hungry for you hunger for what you feed yourself. You hunger for what you feed yourself. Y'all, I used to eat curly fries and trash, and then in September, Callie convinced me to do Whole30. I started eating fruit, and guess what? I kind of like fruit now. I don't miss curly fries that much. That's not true. I miss them. <laughs> Look at this. Tiredness or irritability when we're malnourished. Inability to concentrate. Always feeling cold. Cold-hearted. We have a higher risk of getting sick and it takes longer for us to heal. It's a longer healing time for wounds. I wonder if anybody in here has a hurt that just won't heal, maybe from a relationship. I wonder how nourished you are. Depression, in more severe cases, eventually there may be respiratory failure or heart failure. Yo, we're spiritually malnourished as a generation. The things that we're feeding on are leaving us tired and broken and frustrated. Malnourishment is a condition that causes you to no longer crave the things that make you healthy. Y'all, let me, let me promise you this. You may have come in empty, but you don't have to leave that way. You may have come in here malnourished, but you're going to leave with a full stomach. I believe that one moment in the, in the presence of Jesus can turn everything around. Now, I do want to say this. I, I want to say that I want to preface with this. They used to say it takes 21 to 30 days to establish a habit. Now, most psychologists would agree it takes more like 90 days to cement one. It takes 21 to 30 days to establish a habit. It takes about 90 days to cement a habit. And so if you've been in a habit of, of living on junk food, you're going to have to get militant for about 90 days before you start really craving the things of God again. Now, you might feed on them, but you're still going to be reaching for that cell phone, right? Because you're malnourished. You're going to reach for junk food. You're going to reach for Cheetos, right? You're going to reach for spiritual hot Cheetos in the morning. Mm. Praise God for hot Cheetos. But for real, y'all, we feed ourselves this steady diet of things that give us acid reflux and indigestion spiritually. And we wonder why we're tired. Here are some things that will help you. Number one, fight for your time with God. Fight for your time with God. Y'all, we see over and over and over again throughout the scriptures that Jesus intentionally isolated himself. That he attempted to send the crowds away so that he could go get time alone with his father. You know, you maybe have heard the story about how, uh, you know, Peter walked on the water. You know what happened in that story? Jesus sent the disciples. He's like, just go across by yourself. Like, I can't get away from anybody. I'm going to go up on a mountain. Go off by yourself. Don't worry, I'll be watching. Go off by yourself. And he isolated himself for hours. This wasn't five minutes, for hours. And he listened. And he listened. Maybe you've heard the scripture in the Old Testament that talks about how the prophet went out to hear from God and the thunder came, but God wasn't in the thunder. And the fire came and God wasn't in the thunder. And the hurricane came and it wasn't in the hurricane. But then the whisper of the wind came and God was in the whisper. Y'all, we're in proximity with God. We hear the things he wants to tell us. Some of you maybe have said, I've tried this. I've tried to get time with God and it was totally unprofitable. It's gonna take time. It's gonna take time because we've got to learn how to listen. We've got to learn how to listen. Is anybody in here busy? I know I've trip questioned you a couple times because you're, now you're all a little gun shy. Come on, who's busy? I'm busy. It's okay, you're in good company. Here's what I found in my busyness is that very few people are fighting for my 6 a.m. slot. 
Literally this week, I texted somebody about meeting at 7.30. He's like, bro, you're an early bird, right? Very few people are fighting for your 6 a.m., y'all. If you don't have time for, to, to spend time with God, do it in the morning. Do it in the morning. I'm telling you, you can generally control your morning. If you've got kids, I don't have kids, but I heard they wake you up really early. So you're going to have to wake up a little bit earlier, right? Because I'm telling you, y'all, one hour less sleep without God is so much better than one hour more sleep, right? One hour less sleep with God is so much better than, than one, hour less, one hour more sleep without him. I got lost in that one, but you tracked with me. You stuck with me. That's good. You're smart. You're smart. Number two, read a book. Life-changing. Let me pray for you. No. Read a book. Don't like to read. Guess what? I don't like to diet. But I found nobody feels bad for me when I, when I gain weight because I'm eating Arby's curly fries. Right? If you don't like to read, y'all, sometimes in life you have to do things you don't like to do in order to get things that you want to get. We all know those people who are like annoyingly healthy. They love to work out and drink kombucha. We hate those people. We hate them. But it's the same thing with reading, y'all. There are some people in here who love to read. I like to read. And you may hate them, but that's okay. I'm telling you guys, just like we have to discipline ourselves physically, we've got to discipline ourselves spiritually. If you hate to read, y'all, I'm telling you, you're missing out on a lot of things. You're missing out on a lot of wisdom. Y'all, I wonder how many of us in here have said, man, I'm malnourished because I don't have a mentor. I wonder how many of us have said, I'm malnourished, but I don't have a mentor. Y'all, did you know that some of the greatest mentors who ever walked the earth left us letters to read? Named Paul and Peter and James. And that some other great mentors who've walked the earth and have the secrets of life have written books with advice for us. And their names are Augustine and Thomas Akempis and Chesterton and Lewis and Tozier and Timothy Keller and Ravi Zacharias and Christine Kane and Judah Smith and Carl Lentz. Y'all, there are incredible mentors that are available to us in this day and age. We just have to pick up a book or we have to listen to a podcast or we have to watch a video. I'm telling you guys, if you don't have a mentor, a mentor is available to you. You may be in a dry season where you can't find someone you can relate to, but I'm telling you, someone's written a book that you can relate to. I'm not telling you this as someone who has aced it every season, but I'm telling you, in my weary seasons, this has been missing. Reading has been missing. Learning has been missing. And my heart for us as a community is that we would be a community of learners. I've found that the best conversations I've had are with people who just read a book. Have you ever noticed that? Or somebody who just watched a TED Talk. Let's be real. There's a lot of great stuff in there. And they'll say, hey, I heard this philosopher say this. You know, I learned something recently from a buddy of mine, Matt, actually. Best friend, Matt. What's up? He's in the house, plays electric guitar. He's taken. Uh, we were talking about this atheist who, who went in and he, he loved Jesus. He didn't agree with the whole deity thing, which that's a topic for another time. I'm going to stay off that. I'm going to stay off that. Don't get distracted. But he talked about how, uh, ooh, this is good. I wasn't even planning on this. This is good. He's talking about in the Beatitudes. He's talking about how blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We read meekness and we see weakness, right? 
We read meekness and we see weakness. But what that actually means when you transliterate that, when you really get down into what that means, it's, it's actually saying blessed are those who have a sword and know how to use it but leave it sheathed. There's something in there for that. But that's what happens when you hang out with people who read and people who learn. Y'all, let's be a community of people who read, who learn, who put down our cell phones, who turn off the Netflix. We read a book. We get enriched. And when we get enriched, we enrich those around us. Number three, turn off the TV. I already teased you with that one. Number three, turn off the TV. You know, during the week of prayer and fasting in January, Pastor Rick texted a couple of the pastors and said, hey guys, I don't even know if we can do this, but can we power down our devices? Can we power down our devices for one week? Like, can, can we turn off CNN and ESPN and uh, Hodinkee? Only my watch nerds know that one. That one was for you. Amen. Uh, can we turn off the Instagram? Can we turn off Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime for one week and just see what happens? Can I tell you guys what happened? I hung out with people more. You know why? Because I was bored. <laughs> I really was. Like Callie and I were sitting in the house. You can only play so many hands of rummy with two people, right, before you start thinking, I think this will be more interesting. We invite some more people over. Uh, here's what I've found, y'all. Here's what I've found. Focus in. Focus in on me. Here's what I've found. When, we're, when we have a steady diet of like Netflix and Instagram and Snapchat and ESPN and all these different things, we get numb. Now here's the thing. Did you know when you get a shot of morphine, it doesn't actually heal you, it just numbs you. When you have a broken bone and they give you morphine, it doesn't reset the bone, it just numbs the pain. Yo, what is happening to, happening to us as a generation is we're sitting around, we're getting a steady flow of morphine into our veins and it's coming from our devices. It's numbing us. It's not healing us. It's numbing us. Y'all, we have to get control of it. So can I give you a challenge? Can I give you a challenge, something practical? Pick one night a week, one night a week where you power down the devices. One night a week where you don't watch Netflix. You don't watch Hulu. And here's what I want you to do with that night, okay? Some of these nights you're going to read. Some of these nights you're going to get bored. I want you to invite some friends over. I want you to play spades. Can I get an amen? Yes! I knew I was with the people of God. I'm getting a high five on that one. Hang out with them. Talk to them. And so, y'all, that's, that's the mini challenge. That's the long-term challenge. Are you ready for the this week challenge? Come on, are you guys ready for the this week challenge? What if we as a ministry for one week turned off Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime and TV? I'm not talking about social media. Let's leave that alone, unless you want to be an overachiever. One week, we power it down and we hang out with each other. One week, we eat healthy meals. We don't bring over Taco Bell. We bring over some carrots and some hummus. Amen. <laughs> we eat healthy. We feed ourselves food that is healthy. We intentionally spend time together so that we might get healthy. One week. Can we do this? Are y'all down for this challenge? One week. We power down the devices, we listen to God, and we hang out with each other, and we see what God will do. I'm telling you guys, you are going to have rich time. If you're in here tonight, and you're thinking, and y'all, this is not a joke, this is serious. Some of you in here tonight, and you're like, I don't have any friends who are Christians. You're surrounded by them. Meet somebody. Go to the Welcome Center at the end and find a house party. They're kicking back off next week. And I promise you, game time is going to be lit. All right? 
You're going to be less tired. One week, let's take this challenge. Let's power down the devices. Let's listen to God. Let's read a book. Let's listen to a podcast. And let's hang out. If you're in a place where you're feeling like you don't have rich community, Netflix is stealing your community. The office, they're not real friends, although we know them well. <laughs> community, the TV show. Abed's not your buddy, although you want him to be really bad. Y'all, this is where we have to find rich community. This is the fertile ground for relationships to grow. This is the fertile ground for relationships to grow. And I want to read this to you. I want to read this to you. I ask you this question. Do you think that it's fair to say that if Christ came and said that he himself is Lord of the Sabbath, that he himself is Lord of real rest, something that we're experiencing so little of, amen, that maybe we're experiencing very little of the fullness of Christ. If he is the Lord of rest, maybe we're experiencing very little of what he has for us. You know, in a moment here, we're going to take a time of extended worship, but I want to read something to you. We're going to take a time of extended worship. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. I don't know what background you came from. I don't know if you were raised Baptist or Presbyterian, frozen chosen. Can I get a hello? I don't know if you were raised AG and you're ready to jump over the chairs right now. Something's keeping you from shouting me down, but it's not me. I don't know what your background, religious or irreligious. But I do know this, y'all, we can find rest in the presence of Jesus. There is something special that happens when we block out the external distractions and we focus in on the Lord of rest. If we want rest, we've got to focus in on the one who came to say, I am the fulfillment of the law. I'm the fulfillment of all the things that you thought you had to do to get closer to me. I'm the fulfillment of all the things that you thought that kept me away from you. I've, he's torn down the walls, y'all. He has won the war. He has won the battle so that we can have connection to him. He is the fulfillment of every promise that God has given us. He's the fulfillment of every promise that God has given us. And I want to read a few of them to, to you. And they're his names. They're his names. He's El Shaddai. He's the Lord God Almighty. Whew. He's Adonai. He's Lord our Master. He's Yahweh. He's the Lord Jehovah. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's the Lord our banner. Somebody needs this one. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's God who heals. Jehovah Mekadishka. My Pentecostals are loving that one. Jehovah Mekadishka. 
He's the Lord who sanctifies you. He's Elohim. He's God himself. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. He's Jehovah Shalom. The Lord our peace. Y'all, the promises of God are fulfilled because God himself came and he fulfilled them for you and for me. And so if you're tired tonight, if you're weary tonight, stand to your feet all over the room. Come to the front. If you're weary, come and drink.